Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Prosperity by the Pine. I'm your host, Bryce Carter, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant, certified investment management analyst, and self-proclaimed millennial money expert. This is the podcast where we talk about money, investing, business, financial, life, success, all while having a cold beer. This week's cold beer has been in my fridge for a while, but I was really nervous to try it because the name, sound, it just sounds weird. It's the Mitten Brewing Company, Mango Gold. This is the weird part tart wheat ale. I don't know what a tart wheat ale is, but uh, it was in there. It was given to me by, by my brother-in-law, so I'm going to give it a shot. It is uh, it's from Grand Rapids, Michigan, hence the Mitten Brewing Company. Uh, a sessionable wheat ale with sweet and tart flavors. 4.5% alcohol by volume. It's super clear, which I like to see. Ooh, tart does describe that. Holy cow. It, uh, it's like drinking a glass of sugary lemonade at first. Uh, we'll give it another try. So just because I don't like a beer from a brewery doesn't mean I like don't like all the beers at the brewery. It's just this is a unique one. We'll see if it grows on me as we go. But this week's episode, Investing 101, How to Build a Portfolio. So before I, I go on, I want to say before you should listen to this episode, I very much recommend listening to episode 15, Investing 101 Bonds, episode 11, Investing 101 Mutual Funds and ETFs, and episode 6, Investing 101 Stocks. Those are going to give you a good baseline knowledge on, on some of the things that I'm talking about today, and I think it, it's going to make it easier to understand uh, where I'm coming from when I talk about these fundamental investing concepts um, now, granted, you're not going to come away with this and, and be an investing expert by any means, but I think it's really a good start to looking at maybe the investment options in your 401k and, and having a little bit better knowledge on how do I know what I'm supposed to be investing in and, uh, and starting to build out your portfolio that way. So when I say building a portfolio, it could be, it could mean something different than what everybody, what anybody else thinks, right? So to me, building a portfolio means that you're building a diversified asset allocation portfolio that owns a variety of different asset classes at various different weights based on your uh, risk tolerance, investment experience, and, and time frame. all of those different things. Now, somebody else might say building a portfolio of individual stocks, you know, how do you, how do you stack 20 stocks to get the best dividend return. That's not what I'm talking about. For 90% of investors, if not more, the best route that they can go for investing for the long term is building a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds with different types of stocks and different types of bonds. So with that being said, the, the part you're going to want to start with is understanding risk. Now, this is extremely rudimentary, but when we're talking about risk, think of risk on as being stocks and risk off as being bonds. Again, very, very rudimentary way of looking at it. But uh, basically, the, the, if your portfolio was 50% stocks and 50% bonds, you would have a moderate portfolio, a medium risk portfolio. If you're 100% stocks, it would be considered an aggressive portfolio. If you're 100% bonds, it would be considered a conservative portfolio. So a lot of times people think a risk is uh, the chips are on the table, and if you're right, you double your money, and if you are wrong, you lose it all. That's not really the way it works in an investing world. I mean, at least in the constructs of responsibly long-term investing. So risk being the stock portion and, and the safe portion being bonds. So there's an old adage 
um, that that the percentage of bonds that you own should be the age that you are. So if you're 50 years old, you should have 50% bonds. If you're 60 years old, you should have 60% bonds and so on and so forth. I don't think, I think that's a little bit too much of a one size fits all kind of, it's a very simple adage. Uh, I do believe you should probably own more bonds as you get older. Um, but I think to just say I'm 70 years old, so I'm going to have 70% bonds is maybe a little bit too rudimentary way of looking at it. So if the first tenant is building risk, and you know, I wanted to spend just a minute on why it's considered that bonds are safer than stocks. So if you go buy $1,000 worth of, oh, let's just say McDonald's, which McDonald's I think is trading at something like it, 219, 220 today. If you go buy 200, uh, a share of McDonald's at $220, 10 years from now, that could be worth 2200 or it could be worth 20. We don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be a variable price target that they're a big company, but big companies have failed, right? And have gone backwards, right? Um, if going back 20 years, would any of you want to buy AOL.com? <laughs> Probably not right now, but and I actually don't know their performance, so I shouldn't say that. But if you bought a McDonald's stock, $5,000 worth at 220 bucks a share right now, it could be worth 10,000 or it could be worth 500 10 years from now. If you buy McDonald's bond and that bond is a $1,000 bond is paying 3% interest for next 10 years, 10 years from now, you are going to have $1,000 plus 3% interest every year. It's that straightforward. That's why bonds are considered safer. So if we look at bonds and stocks being the risk on risk off, I'm going to spend more uh, time on the stock portion because most of my listeners, I think, are a little bit younger and more interested in, in investing for long periods of time with stocks than they are uh, building an income portfolio with bonds. So we're going to spend more time on stocks. But I don't necessarily believe in the age adage either. So just because I'm I'm coming up on 30 years old, ooh, doesn't mean that I should have 30% bonds, right? So first tenant is risk. Odds are, if you're younger, you should have very probably very few bonds because you have a long time horizon, so you can take that risk. So let's start to build out the portfolio. So the first tenant, as we talked about, is is knowing that you're going to have a diversified portfolio, likely of ETFs and mutual funds. ETFs are exchange traded funds, which buy huge baskets of stocks. So we have there's different types of stocks though. So that's going to require different funds. You're going to have more than one fund just to buy stocks, right? So the first thing we look at is let's look at size. So you have large companies, medium sized companies, and small size companies. Again, pretty basic. Small company would be like Briggs and Stratton. They are, they make, they make motors for all kinds of things and they're worth, uh, I don't know exactly what they're worth today, but they're in the Russell 2000, I believe, which typically looks at companies that are worth $2 billion or less. You have mid-cap companies like uh, AOL.com. Um, they are a company that 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 uh, used to be actually a large cap, but they lost market share. Um, and then you have large cap companies. These are your titans of industry, your household names, your Amazon, your Apple, your Microsoft, your Google, your GM, your Ford, your Chrysler, uh, your Costco, your Walmart, etc. Those are all your large cap companies, right? So we have large, medium, and small cap companies, and they're going to perform differently. There's this perception that, if, okay, you're listening to the news on your way home and the Dow dropped by 50 points today. Stocks must have been down. No, the Dow Jones is 30 stocks, right? The S&P 500 is 500 stocks. There are roughly 13,000 individual stocks out there you can trade, and they all move more or less based around uh, very similar to their peer group right? So small tends to be moving as an asset class and you break it down further from there. So you have large, medium, and small. I'm going to go one further step today and, and, and for, for 
simplicity purposes and say then you have value and growth. So a value company is a company where you're getting a relatively cheap price compared to the fundamentals of the company, meaning the amount of money that the company makes. So one way we look at this is price to earnings, right? So every dollar in price, how many dollars in price are you paying for a dollar in earnings? So I, I looked this up before the show started. Apple is the largest holding in the S&P 500 value sector. And their price to earnings ratio is $17.49, meaning that you're paying $17.49 of share worth for every dollar of earnings. They're, they're trading in the 200. So you're paying $17 basically for every dollar of earnings. Now, Amazon is the second largest holding in the growth S&P 500 index fund. And their ratio is $73. So you're paying $73 in price for Amazon for every dollar that they earn. So these are two extremely, you know, visible companies, popular companies, Apple and Amazon. They're both technology companies, but one is a as a value company and the other is considered a growth company. So what you're paying for with a growth company is the potential for what it could grow to be. I think personally Amazon might be a little rich in uh, in the, the valuation. I'd rather own Apple at 17 and a half PE than 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 Amazon at 73, but that's just me. So you you have value and you have growth, you have large, medium, and small, and then you have large value, mid value, small value, large growth, mid growth, small growth. And each one of these sectors, categories, asset classes, if you will, are going to perform a little bit differently at different stages of the economic cycle. So quick beer break. My th I'm getting a little dry. I don't know the tartness is going to help though. Nope, it's not for me. It's not growing on me. So each one of these sectors are going to perform a little bit differently in different stages in the economic cycle. So you look at a scenario where uh, the economy is ripping and roaring and, and it's easy to get capital and financing and funding and to expand and maybe a small growth company that has one really good product is able to get financing and capital secured because the economy is growing well and banks are lending in order to launch a second product and they can double in size overnight. Makes sense. Whereas a large value company, let's just say it's a large uh, large pharmaceutical company, people are still going to buy their drugs, uh, their medications when, when the economy takes a downturn. So they, they might not be as negatively impacted, right? So what I will tell you is that it, the market goes through very long uh, streaks sometimes and sometimes very short streaks where one or several of these sectors is way under or way underperforming, way over or underperforming. So... Uh, 1998, 99, large growth was absolutely killing it. And then from 2000 to 2003, small value was the best performing asset class and large growth was one of the worst. And that cycle repeats over history again and again. Right now we're in a, a, a station where large growth has been the best performer since the economic recession in 2008. So what I will tell you is that I don't think you or most people are in a position, I, I don't think that I am, and I, I do this stuff daily, is in a position to say that large growth is going to be the best performing asset class over the next year, quarter, month, 10 years, whatever it may be. So I'm going to sell everything else and own large growth. Or same example for small value, for anything else. That's why we believe in owning a little bit in each one of those categories. So in addition to U.S. large growth value, mid value, small growth, et cetera, you have international and emerging markets. So an international market, uh, international developed, these are countries in simple terms that you feel safe traveling to uh, that have pretty stable economies, pretty industrialized and advanced economies like 
Germany and the United Kingdom and Spain and France and Japan. Uh, and then you have emerging market countries where you maybe won't feel safe traveling to. So uh, places in Latin America, India, uh, China, they're, they're still developing a lot of potential there, but also a lot of risk. And those should play a part too. Um, the U.S. is not the only economy out there, right? There's many economies, and, and some of those are going to be more or less impacted by different stages of the economic cycle. So it's important to diversify not just in the United States among different types and sizes of companies, but also to diversify internationally and own international equities. Uh, you know, Canada was was impacted by the Great Recession, but their stock market didn't go down nearly as much as the United States in just one example there. So when you're looking at building out this portfolio and, and if you accept the premise that you need to own large and mid and small and value and growth and international and emerging markets, where do you start? And what I would just say is this is a podcast and I don't know very many of you personally that are listening, but with a podcast, it's very difficult for me to say this is what your asset allocation should look like. And that's what this is called, building a portfolio, an asset allocation portfolio. It's very difficult for me to know exactly how you should be invested. But I'll tell you that the, if you're younger, you should probably have more, uh, a lot more stocks than you do bonds. And I'll tell you, your, the largest portion should probably be U.S. large cap. But it doesn't mean that you don't own U.S. small cap or emerging markets or international. So you, starting by just saying, I'm going to buy five index funds a large, a mid, a small, and international and emerging markets and put uh, 30, 40% in uh, large and, and then just build out the rest from there is a pretty good start. And you're going to do pretty well over very long periods of time with that. So what you need to understand is that building a portfolio, you can get some basics, but you're going to need to learn some more to build your to build it yourself. I can't tell you exactly what you should invest in. Or just consult with a CFP, you know, hire a financial planner to tell you how you should do this or educate you on doing this. There are a lot of resources out there. Uh, Vanguard is a great resource. Uh, Morningstar.com is a great resource. This podcast is a good resource. I have a lot of stuff that I've written on my website. Um, we also have an ebook launching very shortly, so it might be out by the time you're listening to this. Keep checking back to fsgmichigan.com. Chapter two is all about investing strategies, so that would be something to, to, to read into to try and educate yourself a little bit more so you're in a better position to say, this is what works for me. As far as the more particulars, again, episode six, episode 15, episode 11, um, those are all great resources to listen to and are going to give you some more information on each one of these specific subsets. So that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Prosperity by the Point. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a fun episode for me. I've been wanting to do it for a while. It's just a big topic, right? It's a lot to talk about. It's a lot to consume. I was nervous about getting the message across to you as the investor without being able to do what I normally do, which is just draw this stuff on a whiteboard so it makes crystal clear sense. But if you listen to it and, and you liked it, send me a message, send me a comment. Let me know that we're doing well. And don't forget to subscribe. Facebook, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever you listen, that's where we are. Thanks. Cheers.